The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. They're incredible. I mean, it's just it's not usually in awe of teams that much, but I just can't help being in awe of Barcelona Femini. Like, they're just incredible. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Got Nadia Manua with us to talk about the England football team and their performance so far. Nadia, good morning to you. How are you getting on? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Um, what was your what was your roller coaster of emotions like during the game last night? <laughs> um, it's not really like that from a roller coaster standpoint because I kind of have to work it, so it pays to just pay attention to what's happening. So I, had a, I was in a very nice spot in the stadium, could see the see the all twenty two, and yeah, it was um, it was interesting to see the way they tactically went for it. Wasn't really that good at the start. Then they made a couple of tweaks, and before you know it, you know the timing of that second goal was really the the crucial part. And then Senegal tried to match up with them in the second half uh, in terms of the formation. But again, that third goal basically just put the nail, final nail in the coffin. But they were they were good. And the only high point I had really, like a really high point, is because I'm friends with Jordan Henderson. So to see my friend score in a World Cup kind of made me go a little bit unprofessional. <laughs> but, but aside from that, it was um, it was overall good good performance. And as I watch this England team, you sort of, they give off a feeling like they've been here before. And I think that's something which we, well, with anyone who's been watching for most of their life, haven't really seen, regardless of the talent they've had in the past. I think with this group of players, they just have a certain sense of confidence, understanding about sort of getting through the rounds, which I find really impressive. It's really interesting you talk, you talk about that, um, the opening, and you, you said a, a tactical change. What was the change that was made? Because in the first half an hour, it didn't look like they were in a flow state. Yeah. Um, so for, for me personally, and I, I don't have inside information, but the way I was looking at the game, I think they sp- had spent a lot of time with the ball moving around at the back. And I looked at the two uh, forwards in Foden and Saka, and I wasn't really seeing them really try and stretch the game in behind. So everything was essentially in front of the Senegalese. And as a consequence, like football, was, you know, it's never easy, but it's easier when everything's in front of you. So it seemed like there needed to be some sort of intent, at least, to try and force the opposition back. And I think there was a point probably 25, 30 minutes in. I think there might have been a pause in play. And then I watched something as Jordan Henderson um, received the ball and he wanted to spin a ball down the channel to Saka and he didn't go. So Jordan played it off and then he was berating him for 10, 15 seconds saying, you've got to go, you've got to go, you've got to go. And then from that point, there was um, more of an injection in terms of energy, desire, as we could see from those two goals which they scored where people were really testing the line, playing on the shoulder, trying to inject tempo with the ball, without the ball. And that sort of speed makes it very hard for the opposition. And I think, um, you know, in terms of organisational structure, when you're defending, you know everybody is when you are facing, like, away from your own goal. But that point when you're running back towards it, you don't know where anybody is and you're just hoping that people are in the right spot. And for England, that injection of energy from the likes of Foden, you know, from Bellingham, and even the fact that, you know, you've got the two number eights setting each other up, I think that's when they are very, very dangerous. And I think if Gareth Southgate was the one who recognised that, then fair play to him, because from that point, especially in the second half, they were more aggressive with their press, more aggressive trying to run in behind again. And it makes for a very uncomfortable game for the opposition. Well, that's really interesting, right? Because um, one of the criticisms of Southgate pre-tournament was, oh, he's not that great on the sideline. He's brilliant around the camp. He's He's got the best out of this group of players. He sets them up brilliantly. But in matches, he's being outdone by his rivals. And um, maybe that's not the case anymore. Because like, it's not like managers can't change and evolve and get better. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. I think, you know, no manager is essentially perfect because you still need the players to go out there and basically instill your beliefs anyway. But I think if he did see something, then fair play to him because it was lacking that point because they had good possession. But like, what's the point in possession if you don't have territory? And then some of those other bits which you try to do then in terms of stretching the game, they try and maybe play some balls a little bit longer. 
But the best thing about those is that even if they didn't win them, you'd have people coming from behind. And now you're going to be building an attack from the opposition's half instead of just your own. And, you know, don't get me wrong, it wasn't the best version of Senegal that we saw yesterday. But in some of that, in part, was to do with the way that England played. And Senegal obviously have a couple of players missing, but I would have fancied England anyway. But then once I start seeing them be more dynamic, be more on the front foot, you know, sort of delivering a level of energy into the game, which, um, you know, makes it always hard to play against them. Then I thought they're fair dues. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't a perfect performance. There were one or two sort of areas defensively. But for those people, you know, get very down on England. Like each team that's at this World Cup who's doing well has shown their flaws at some point. So to say for anybody that says it's definitely going to go this way, definitely going to go that way. You know, it feels like that's more emotional as opposed to logical from seeing the way that the tournament's gone so far. Nidham, is Jordan Henderson's importance to this team, to this squad, underrated? Um, to, from which perspective? Well, he seems to be... From, when he scores the goal last night, it's, everyone's like, put some credit on this man's name. And like, I'm sure he's important as a, as a squad member and an experienced person in the squad, but... You don't hear his name mentioned too often as one of these really important key cogs in the Southgate machine. Yeah, you are right with that. And I think um, I think it's because some people probably see him as more as like a six, but knowing Jordan, he actually wants to play the eight because he can be more involved in the game and he can play as a six, but he's an eight. So when most people see his name on a team sheet, they believe that it's going to be more defensive, but Jordan can defend, but he wants to go forward. He wants to make runs in behind. He wants to go on overlaps. He wants to try and get the ball in the half space and drive and be looking to try and find penetrating passes and so on. So I think some people maybe do underestimate him, but you know, when you look at it for what it is, he's the captain of Liverpool. He's, he's clearly not the worst player in the world, you know, but as again, some people don't fancy him and that, you know, that's, that's fair enough. They're entitled to their own opinion, but I think there's a good dynamic there between say himself and Bellingham because they do spread, they spread the field really well. They're all, they stay patient. They come and link the play when they need to. But then as soon as there's a chance to really go and bomb forward, I think off they go. And I think Jordan, with that as well, is one of the best pressers I think that England have. And when you see him start going, other people go with him. And I think some of that comes with his big game understanding, the fact that he's played for the club like Liverpool and, and led them to great success. So, yeah, I think in some ways you're probably right. Maybe he's... he's, he's um, Maybe his, his performances and his and what he does for England is underrated, but then ultimately, you know, it's Gareth Southgate that picks the team and he rates him because he's playing him. So I think that's probably the biggest sort of show of support that you need, as opposed to people from the outside really understanding what he does. I don't know if he before the tournament started if he was in everybody's. Um, uh, here's my pick for who Southgate is going to pick. Uh, at what mm. point over the course of the tournament has he now become undroppable? What like? When did he get in the team for you? I mean, you know, obviously, notwithstanding the fact that he's your mate, right? But if you were putting yourself in Southgate's head, when did it, when did Southgate go? Yeah, he's he's definitely the team. Because I was a little bit surprised at the team that got picked. I kind of thought there was a possibility he might go back to three central defenders. I hoped he wouldn't, but I thought he might because we're getting to that stage of the tournament now where he has used that in the past. It's been effective. Managers like doing what has won them stuff in the past. <laughs> You know, that's so interesting because whenever, say, a lot of people are and they'll start speaking about England, there's always this thing hanging over their head about a three at the back, three at the back. But like England, they're not, they're not really concerned about that, it seems like. You know, I think they prefer the balance in the midfield of having three guys in there and with the three forwards. So it's more formation, which we see domestically. And I can't personally see them going into that unless they absolutely have to. And if they absolutely had to, maybe it's because you'd be playing against two number nines. But most of the teams that play at this World Cup, they don't really do it that way. And I think the four at the back, it, it makes sense. You've got people who can play it very, very well, and they are currently playing it very well. And they have the added security of a Declan Rice in there as well, who really understands his responsibility within the team. So I think from back to your original question with Jordan, I think against the USA, England overall, 
they were a little bit laboured in terms of how they were playing. I think there was an ebb and flow to that game, which probably made a few people uncomfortable because there were times when USA were very much on top and times, you know, when England were on top and people expected them to stay on top, but that's not the case. And, you know, you, there's lots of reasons why. But then I thought the game changed a little bit when he came on to play more alongside Rice because he sort of had a better game understanding of, say, that particular moment. Some people said it was negative, but I think it helped in terms of getting a stranglehold in the midfield. So I think, obviously, Gareth Southgate knows what he was all about anyway. But from when he brought him on and he could see the sort of way that he could manage the moments a bit and to sort of understand what was required in the game. Like if you bring in someone on like that and you can tell them what you want them to do, you know, he's going to do it to a T. He's going to do it well, in my opinion. So I think maybe that was the point there. And now as you look at this midfield, you know, they, they're good. Like Bellingham does his thing. Jordan Anderson does his thing. Declan Rice does his thing. And they've got the likes of Calvin Phillips on the bench and for Jordan to talk from a personal standpoint. You know, I know he's greatly disappointed to not be getting enough game time at the Euros last year because he believes that he should have been or, or not should have been, believes that he could have been playing. So I think uh, now that he's out there, you know, he's, he's he wants to make the most of this because, you know, it's a World Cup. You never know when your next, say, game's going to be, let alone your next um, international match whatsoever. So he's out there. He's wanting to make an impact. And, you know, he'd absolutely love, like the rest of uh, the nation would, to be lifting up a World Cup trophy if it's going to be there for them or at least just be a ch- have a chance in a World Cup final to be doing it. And it's one step at a time for England as opposed to some of the English media, I could say. Uh, Nedham, speaking of the English media, so well, Phil Foden after the match, speaking of Jude Bellingham, said he's going to be the best midfielder in the world for sure. Reading Jimmy Carragher in the Telegraph this morning, he says Jude Bellingham is exploding like Gaza did at Italian 90. There's comparisons to Wayne Rooney at Euro 2004. Like English media certainly keeping his feet on the ground, but um, does that does that concern you Like for a 19-year-old having to listen to, to these kind of headlines? Um, I don't think it concerns me as much anymore because I think some of these really good young talents now, I think they see the game in a slightly different way and they just, just enjoy it. But they're really, really good professionals because some of the sort of the people that came before them who maybe have inspired them, like their foundations are on being great professionals, not just great players. So for someone like Jude Bellingham, by all accounts, it seems like he's a really, really nice guy. seems like he really just enjoys the football, wants to play, you know, in the same way I hear same stories about like Phil Foden and the like. So people can hype them up all they want. But for them, the reality is the stuff which goes on on the field. And these guys who are very, very well trusted by their teammates, trusted by their managers. And it's because, not just because they play well, but because they want to be doing everything they can to make themselves better on a day-to-day basis. Same case for someone like Erling Haaland. You know, they have such great ambitions, but they work at it as opposed to just listening to what everyone else is saying. So I don't worry too much from that. I think some of the stuff that they say, I don't know, you, you can say how good it is and that's fantastic. But realistically, he's going to change the way he plays. Probably not. It's good to have something to have an exciting prospect in your side. It's good to have lots of exciting young players in your side. But you know, football's a very, very tough game, and to do it year in year out is going to be the key. But he has shown great potential for that. And if things fall his way and he stays healthy, I'm sure he will be great. But for him, he'll probably define himself as great based on how successful he is and can he achieve his potential, as opposed to people saying that you know he's just going to be this guy or that guy. Because he's only 19, it's possible that his game is going to change and evolve. It's likely his game is going to change and evolve. Is there a possibility that he ends up as a more a higher up the pitch player? Like his 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 skill set is so unique, yeah. That you'd love to have him slightly further up to be able to damage teams, while at the same time you wanted to be on the ball as early and as often in every move as possible. So you know, obviously, you want to clone him and have him play eight and maybe even a ten. I'd love to see him playing a ten in in some situations. Yeah. So Phil Foden thinks that his, be- Phil Foden thinks that his personal best position is number 10. Like that's Phil Foden, not, not Jude Bellingham. So I think Phil's trying to separate himself and Phil's trying to say he's more of an attacker. <laughs> Whereas for me, Bellingham, like, I think he is like a really, he's, 
he's like a he's a box to box midfielder as such, um, which is something we don't really talk about too much these days because you tend to put someone higher or someone lower and so on. But he can he can do it all, and for some reason that now feels really unique that somebody can do that instead of just being a sole specialist in one field. But I think maybe he'll go further forward. But the fact is, I think from the position that he plays now, he has a license to go forward. And when the when the moment is there and when the moment is right, but then also he can get the ball from deeper. He can make the passes, but then he can also drive with the ball. And when people can do that, it's like it's people's worst nightmare, really, because some of those midfield matchups they don't have, they won't be as strong as him. They won't be as technically gifted as him. They won't be as quick as him. So if he gets that, gets the game by the scruff of neck and goals, kind of like he did in the second goal yesterday, I think it's going to be a really tough spot. But I'd always prefer him to be coming from sort of behind some of the attacks as opposed to being so far ahead of it and having to be on the half turn because then if he ends up in the wrong sort of game or playing for the wrong sort of team he might go a lot go through long periods in a match where he never gets a touch of the ball and I think at that point you're probably wasting his potential I'd say As I got to the point Nathan where Bellingham is so important to England that if you're Didier Deschamps you you take him out of the match you, like you, you literally target Jude Bellingham because he's that important and if you can do that then, then you beat England um, I don't think they, I don't think they're quite there yet. I don't think they're quite there yet. And I, the reason I say that is, especially from a French perspective, like, you know, they are world champions and tactically they can be very, very good, but that doesn't, but I wouldn't think that they'd want to make a huge adjustment to affect the way that the opposition play as opposed mm. to focus on what they're doing themselves. And as I look at their team, I can't see Rabiot, I can't see Griezmann really sort of trying to go for that, for that matchup, for that matchup. So. I don't know. You, I think is it is it too many that you end up being left with? But if you're following him around, then you're missing the point because there'll be other people who fall into the space, especially like somebody like a Harry Kane who you know prefers to drop off that little bit. Well, if he drops off there and you've got too uh, many following um, Jude Bellingham around, then what are you going to do with Harry Kane? So I think tactically, you can't overreg it. I think maybe try and stop the supply line to him by maybe forcing England to go out wide sooner or to try and keep England passing the ball side to side at the back. But yeah, I think you're aware of his strengths, but I think sometimes it's just, it's not really that common these days to think you have to stop one individual. Like the England are potentially thinking, well, fans are potentially thinking, you know, the key to the game is to try and stop Mbappe. But then like the bigger point is Mbappe's been really good at this tournament because he's had Hernandez supporting him. Hernandez has been the guy who's been going on some of those overlaps and then providing say one twos and creativity from that standpoint. So you can try and focus on Mbappe, but the next thing is a 2v1. And then they have other players on the field who are capable of scoring, like lest we forget now. You know, they've got France's all-time top goal scorer playing up front. So he seems like somebody you should probably keep your eye on as well. So I think overall, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd appreciate what the individuals do, but still you just try and just look at it from a sort of wider team perspective because any one person could make a difference. But if you put all your eggs in that basket, I think someone else will punish you. Apart from that sense of calm that the England team are exuding, is there... Other aspects to what you've seen, even from France, that's given you some confidence ahead of this game? Confidence in England's favour? Yeah. Um, I So I'm, I'm quite neutral, though. I think it's, I think the game feels like a toss-up to me. And the reason I say that is because as I've watched France, you know, they've, they've shown good spells where they've controlled the game, they've moved the ball well. But then they've also showed spells where they've offered real opportunity to the opposition, as was the case yesterday in the first half against Poland where Poland probably think that they should have scored. And if they do score, you know, the game has a whole different context to it. I think their strengths are more in attack as opposed to defence. Because say, for example, Kylian Mbappe is an incredible player, but you're very rarely going to see him pressing with any level of desire whatsoever. So you get the chance to potentially start some attacks down that side. But then the, the sad thing is then if they're more open, they're more set to sort of commit you on the break. But I think it's a game between um, between two imperfect sides. 
because you know Upamecano is, is is a good player. He's not like the best thing that's ever been seen, and it's the same all across the field for both sides. And you know that they they do have mistakes in them from the front to the back. So ultimately, it's like it's it's a really good matchup. It's going to be really really intriguing. I think both teams will want to have the ball and so on. And France may, for some, for the English, feel more dangerous, but that's because they're quite pessimistic overall. But the fact is, France, for as much as they've done and how well they've played, they're still just the same as everybody else. And in fact, they've won games, but they've shown that they do have some weaknesses and they can't control games for 90 minutes. And this England side might be the toughest test that that they've faced so far. So how do you deal with it when this brand of English football could be thrown at them? And it's not to say England will definitely win because I don't think any side is definitely going to win this game. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But it's a really, really intriguing tie. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure there'll be lots of people who don't like England who'll be supporting France. But then for all those people, I think, well, do you like Mbappe as well? And for some people, they don't. So, yeah, I don't know what people are going to be supporting. So we'll have to see. The um, the 10 or 15 minutes after Denmark scored as well, there was just a period where France looked a little bit ragged and there was loads of chances being created. So you can see how there is room for England to get into the game. Uh, you mentioned um, Mbappe and the potential impact that he might have and Hernandez. A lot's going to fall on the English defence. Harry Maguire has so far been good and definitely better than the Harry Maguire that we see from Manchester United. Have you any theories about why he plays better for England than Man United at the moment? Um, I think overall it's just a, it's probably just a better atmosphere for him. I think when you look at the English crowd, you know they have overall a positive experience when they see when they see him out there. I think in playing with John Stones, they're probably very like minded in the way that they play, and then adding a Jordan Pickford again, who you know they're. They're all on the same sort of page. And then he's got the familiarity, familiarity of Luke Shaw on the left-hand side. And I don't think it's, it's fair to say England play completely different to the way Man United play. But it's just a different spot. And then also, you know that uh, Gareth Southgate, Southgate really trusts him. And I think there's a lot to be said for that sort of mental thing within football when you know you're in a good spot, you know you're not under pressure, you know that you're being trusted to go and do something. And when it's for England, it's doing something on, on, you know, on, on the world stage. You're being trusted to go and play at a World Cup. So that what more of a pat on the back could you need as opposed to somebody sort of potentially saying, well, maybe you need to leave this United side. Maybe you shouldn't be here. You're not playing well enough. We're going to be taking you in. You're going to, you're going to be putting you in. You're going to be taking you out and so on. I think he has like a sense of continuity when he meets up with England and that goes a long way for him. And people can say, you know, ultimately, yeah, he should do better than to sort of have to have confidence that way. But that's the way that most players, if not all players are. You play your best football when you are very, very confident and you feel trusted when you feel trusted out there. And for those who don't necessarily have that, it's it's very tough to continue to play well when there's sort of doubt over you. And fair play to him because he has done well, very well for England. I think, although he made a couple of mistakes yesterday, but overall he's been very solid. And I think him and John Stones are, you know, they've they've been fantastic for England overall. And I hope they continue to do that. And if England lose, I don't want it to be down to a Harry Maguire mistake because all the naysayers are just waiting for that one mistake which costs them, which will then prove the point that he shouldn't be there. But I don't think England would be in the same position if it was someone else that's playing through these last few games. There are moments where you're like, where he's on the ball and you're thinking, Jesus, anything could happen here. This could go south very quickly. And like, yeah. I don't know, would you have had Connor Cody or Eric Dyer maybe in, th- in that defence ahead of him at the start of the World Cup? But it's just one of those things where, as you say, you're at times waiting for disaster to happen. Yeah, it's because you've seen it, because you've seen him make mistakes before. When he gets the ball and it's a high stakes moment, you're thinking it's going to happen again. But defensively, you know, he put, he's, he's good. And I think my only thing with him, and this has been the case for like a few years. It's just at times he just takes a few too many touches when he's in possession mm. and he can sort of be led into a trap or led into a problem. And he's good on the ball. But the way for me, the defending is you don't have to show that all the time. At some points, you know, it's about percentages. And to mention a guy, so 
Van Dijk hasn't had the best of seasons, but one thing which I really like about him and the way he does it for Liverpool is that, you know, he'll move the ball around the back a few times, but then he's not shy of just playing percentage football. You'll play a ball down the channel, you try and play a diagonal, or if there's a bit of pressure, he'll, he'll literally send it into Rose Z and it sort of just dispels this doubt that some people might have in him when he's on the ball and so on, because you don't expect him to lose it. He won't overplay. Whereas I think at times Harry will think about, not he doesn't think it's overplaying at the time, but it it ends up being that way because the more touches you take, the more you sort of play into the opposition's hands because they start making adjustments based on where you're going. So, yeah, I think, unfortunately, he's got some clips of him doing particularly badly. So now people just expect it to happen again. But the way football is, maybe that was his bad spell and maybe he's in a different moment now and he's learned from those mistakes because ultimately that's the whole point of uh, football, isn't it? To learn from the mistakes you make and make yourself better. He's only 90 minutes away now, Southgate, from another semi-final of the major tournament. Like... Do we have to accept now that he's one of England's greatest managers of all time? Yeah, well, yeah. And the thing is, I don't even accept it. I, like, I, I shout it because I've always found with um, with a lot of people who watch England, like, I don't know, I don't know what they want. Like, it feels really, really strange for a nation that hasn't really had that much success on the international stage and has had more disappointment than anything else. It just feels weird when they'll be so critical of somebody who, you know, has taken them in across two tournaments into a semi and to a final. And yeah, I think even in the the first game of the Euros, I think they said that's the first time England have ever won their opening game of the Euros. You know, wow. So things have been really bad then. But I think the thing here, I don't know if it's to do with club football, but people are like obsessing about style of play, style of play, style of play. And I think when it gets like that, it gets a bit weird because I think after the USA, after the USA game, I had people saying to me that, you know, I know they made it to the semi-final of the Euros. I know they made it to the final of this, but, you know, I just want to be entertained. And it felt like a really sort of like privileged club football type fan because I thought like, what are we talking about? And according to that logic, if England managed to get to the final and say they played, I don't know, six at the back and they won, then that means they'd be miserable, even though he would have essentially delivered something which we've not, England haven't seen since the 60s. So... I don't know. I think he's, I think he's done a very good job. I think he's brought, created a good group of players who seem to enjoy playing with each other, who seem to enjoy representing the national team. And I know for a fact that hasn't always been the case. So fair play to them, fair play to them for the way they sort of interact with the, um, with the nation and their fans and so on. So I've got no, I've got no issues with Gareth Southgate. So I think he's very, very consequential. And I think he's brought hope from English football. And this is even in a time when you look at times people gone by like the Rooney's and the Rio Ferdinand's and the like. This team has objectively done better and have done better consistently. And in these moments that you kind of have a belief in the back of your head that they're going to be fine. So I think that's a big change to get. So I need to give, I, des- I think he deserves a ton of credit and some people won't be happy. And I think whether he wins the World Cup or goes out in this next round, I think some people still want him to leave anyway. And that's a shame. But if he does leave, I think he leaves with his head held high because he's done a great job. That is the key point, isn't it? That actually the team is performing better than it ever has done because he has got them all playing together and maybe it's interesting that their best player isn't playing for one of those clubs that has a traditional rivalry with another title rival that sorry Harry Kane I'm talking about as opposed to the other best players who have obviously emerged since but the talisman and the leader isn't the Manchester United captain or the Chelsea captain and they're not winning titles all the time and the cliques aren't there I don't know if the cliques were that important or whatever but you look at what happened in uh, Belgium for example where their golden generation reached a semi-final, which maybe is about as good as it could get, but it does seem as if factions within the dressing room at international level are massively important. And understanding that uh, you can't do anything if those factions exist seems to be one of the things that Southgate got right very early on. 
Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. And these factions, they're so strange. Like even for myself, so when I played England under 21s, there's like a north-south divide. But then there were like different club divides as well. I think speaking um, in terms of how the national team was perceived, like the, the, as you mentioned, the rivalries between like United and Liverpool, so on and so forth, like those things were real. So when they met up with England, you know, they sort of carried that baggage with them. Whereas this group of players, because they've kept them together for so long and they've done things beyond just like playing football, I think they all get each other and they look forward to playing with each other. And that's such a difference compared to what it was. And it seemed really stupid. But then think of, say, other teams who had the potential to do well, who've fallen off, who failed in a particular moment. You're talking about like French teams in times gone by where there's infighting. You know, you, you saw all the stuff around the Belgian team with infighting, we're too old, or now we're, we're not too old and so on and so forth. Whereas for England, I think they get the messaging right. I think they kind of set the tone and the culture from the get-go. And the fact that, say, people, one of the, people who gets praised the most is a Connor Cody he doesn't really play at all for England. You know, that's a positive environment for them to be in overall. And I think if you're a part of it, you know what they're trying to achieve and they're all trying to achieve it together. Even uh, there's a radio interview, I think with Phil Foden yesterday, and he was talking about how he understands that, you know, the key thing here is to be a part of the squad. And if you don't, if you're not starting, you need to make sure you're ready to come on and make a difference. You know, there'll be other nations and other times in England's history where somebody's on the bench is just going to sulk and say, well, why Why am I here if I'm not going to play? Whereas for them, you know, they want to win it together. They want to do it for each other, do it for the staff and do it for the nation who supported them overall pretty well across the years that Southgate's been there. Yeah, great stuff. Thanks a million. How are you finding the tournament from, uh, like, what's it actually like? Yeah, so I've, to be honest, I've had an incredible time. I think to be able to be somewhere in the world and see fans from every corner of the globe come here with a sense of excitement to sort of watch their teams play, to watch some of the best players in the world play. The stadiums are incredible and everything's accessible. Like every day I'm excited to go and try and watch a game. And that's a, it's a very unique spot to be in because I don't think we'll have a feeling like this again where everything feels so accessible because in four years' time, you might have to fly eight hours if you want to get to another game. Yeah, it's going to be different. This is definitely a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Uh, great to have you with us. Thanks a million for making the time for us. Cheers. Cheers, thank you. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.